Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Adam Darnell, and I'm so glad that you're watching online with us today. Uh, we have had a great past two weeks of celebrating worship outside together, uh, gathered together, but I want you to know if you're watching online, you are very much still a part of us. We miss seeing you in person. We look forward to the day when we can all gather again soon. Uh, but we are meeting on, uh, outside at 9 a.m. on Sundays. And if you're comfortable coming out, we would love to have you join us. All the information for that is on our website at southdurham.org. I also want to give praise to God uh, for something that kicked off just this past week at South Durham, and that's our summer studies called Theology for Your Soul. Uh, one of our members who's a, a gifted teacher of the Bible uh, named Andy Bragg, he just started a series that we're going to be doing every Wednesday night throughout the summer called Theology for Your Soul. And it was a time when we went deep into God's Word and began to piece some things together so that we could see how the Bible can come alive as we read it for ourselves. We're going to be looking at those every Wednesday night this summer, 8 to 9 p.m. Andy's going to be leading us. Uh, I hope you'll join us. You can find out more at southdurham.org slash summer studies. southdurham.org slash summer studies. We'd love to see you there. There's a link on our homepage as well. Uh, I'm going to be continuing our series through the book of 2 Corinthians today. We're in chapter 7, verses 2 through 16. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up. We'd love to, I'd love to have you follow along with me. I think it'll help you and serve us uh, all well if you'll be able to do that. Uh, I want to pray and just ask God's blessing on our time together. And then I'm going to read this text and we'll dive into what God has for us today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray, God, that you would make your name worshipped and known throughout all the earth and through every corner of our hearts. Lord, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want your will to be done in our lives, in our church, in our neighborhoods, and in our country. Lord, we pray that it would be done today in Jesus' name. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need, Lord from your word today. Uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, make us a people who are ready to forgive. Thank you that you have forgiven us in Christ. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, help us, Lord, to flee from sin, to walk in holiness. We know everything that you have commanded is for our good and for our joy. We pray that we would walk in it today. In Jesus' name, strengthen your church, Lord. Be with our country, uh, be with our leaders, uh, be with us as we seek to be a light and salt to the neighborhoods and places where you've called each one of us. Thank you that we can worship you together in this way. Speak now, Lord. Amen. Well, amen. Today we're going to be talking about comfort in correction. Comfort in correction. Uh, I don't know if you uh, like to be corrected or if you like to correct other people, but we're talking about strength in correction that is, uh, that's there for us, available to us, because of the cross of Christ. That's what I want to talk with you about today from these verses. So I'd like to read them to us now. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 16. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. 
For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made about him, or made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you is true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Amen. This is God's word to us today. Now, there's no question that there are lots of words of correction uh, flying around in our society right now. And as Christians, we should be both the best at giving correction and the best at receiving correction because we have the cross of Christ. We have faith in the cross of Christ. Now, everyone knows they need to be, need to be corrected in some ways. Uh, nobody almost nobody thinks that they're actually perfect. And yet most of us don't want to be corrected. I wonder how you feel when I bring up that term even, correction. It can be an uncomfortable thought. There's a good number of us that are afraid to give correction. There's a good number of us too that love giving correction, but for the wrong reasons. Uh, At some point or another though, we're all going to need to be corrected and we're all going to need to correct others. And so what's going on in 2 Corinthians 7 is incredibly instructive for how we deal with this very common situation in life in light of the cross of Christ. How do we live as Christians when we need to give correction or when we need to receive correction? How does the cross bear on that issue? And I don't know if there could be a more relevant time to be talking about that uh, than at this point in our nation's history, in our world, when it seems like there's so much correction and correcting going on Uh, from all sides about really almost everything. So today I want to equip you, I want to equip us to be Christians when it comes to giving correction and receiving correction from others. I want to talk about comfort in correction. And remember in this series, when we're talking about comfort, we're not talking about a warm blanket. We're talking, we're not talking about just always feeling positive. We're talking about strength and fortification that comes from the outside. So comfort that comes from God that helps us in the midst of correction, that's what I wanna talk with you about today. We're gonna look at it in three parts. We're gonna talk about the heart behind correction, 
and then the heart in front of correction, and then the heart after correction. So the heart behind it, the heart in front of it, and the heart after correction. First, I want to talk about the heart behind correction. For Christians, correction must come from a cruciform heart. In other words, from a heart that has been shaped by and is shaped like the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, before I get too far into this point, I want to make clear what I'm not saying. Because what I just said to you is this. For Christians, correction must come from a cruciform heart. Now, here's what that does not mean. I'm not saying that accurate correction can only come from a heart that believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that. You know that's not the case. Uh, What I'm saying is that as Christians, we should listen especially closely to corrections that come from cruciform hearts. So we should be willing to receive correction from anywhere, but we should listen especially closely to corrections that come from hearts that have been shaped by Christ, that come to us from brothers and sisters in Jesus. But then what I really want to focus on is this, that as Christians, our hearts should be conformed to the cross before we give correction. As Christians, our hearts should be conformed to the cross before we give correction. Look with me at Paul's heart. I think we see that. He's modeling that for us in these verses. If you look, starting in verse 2, he says, Make room in your hearts for us. In other words, Corinthians, open up your hearts to be corrected by us. You see, one of the great burdens of 2 Corinthians, one of the big things that Paul is trying to do with this letter is to get the Corinthians uh, not to follow the false apostles and false teachers who, who looked strong, who looked like they had it all together, and who said, look at Paul over there. He's weak. He's in prison. Don't follow him. Paul is trying to get them to come and, and follow the apostle and true uh, teaching of the gospel. Well, so he's saying, open up your hearts to correction in this letter in 2 Corinthians. But why should they do that? Here's what Paul gives as reasons. He says, continuing in verse 2, We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. So we can see Paul's heart there, can't we? He's saying, basically, listen to our correction because you know that we love you. We, you know that we would give our lives for you, that when you, when you suffer, we suffer. That when you're flourishing, we're rejoicing. You know our hearts to you is what he's saying. And that's what led Paul to his boldness in this letter. Uh, He is trying to correct them. Now, Paul could be clear in his correction because he was clear in his heart. He loved the Corinthians and him and his whole team. That's the we there. They loved the Corinthians so they could correct the Corinthians gently but boldly. And the Corinthians had loved Paul. Starting in verse 5, Paul talks about how when he and his team were in Macedonia, which is to the north of Corinth, their bodies had no rest. The work of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is never easy. It's always hard work. And people fought with them. And inside their hearts were afraid, he says, uh, fighting without fear within. Fear for the churches and uh, how they were doing. Maybe afraid for their own safety. But Paul says, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. See, the Corinthians had sent Titus back to Paul. 
And Titus himself had been strengthened by his time with the Corinthians because they had responded in love. And, and uh, Titus had come to Paul with very good news about their response of love. Let me say more about that. Verse 7. Uh, Titus, he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve in my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it because I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved and repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. So what's going on here? Well, Paul had written an early letter, an earlier letter to the Corinthians that had a correction in it uh, to them. Uh, there was someone who had done some wrong in the community, and Paul had written a painful letter that, that rebuked that person for doing wrong and, and called the whole Corinthian church to repent uh, and trust in what Paul was saying. Now, we don't know exa- the exact details of that, unless that, that former letter is 1 Corinthians. And it may be that the, first, the former letter that Paul's referring to was 1 Corinthians, or it could be a different letter that was written between 1 and 2 Corinthians. Well, whatever it was, Paul knew that when he wrote the letter, his words were going to hurt the Corinthians. Uh, and words of correction are always painful because they confront us with something inadequate or off in ourselves. Words of correction, they're always painful because they confront us with something inadequate or off within ourselves. And so Paul knew that he was going to to hurt them and he was going to have to hurt them, but he didn't want to hurt them. He said he regretted it, meaning probably that he was afraid his words would cause a break in their relationship, that they wouldn't love Paul the same way anymore, that they wouldn't believe that Paul loved them because of these hard words. Now, when you love somebody and you have to say something difficult to them to correct them, It's natural to be afraid of what that'll do to the relationship. And Paul loved them. So he said what he had to say in order to correct them, even though he didn't want to break the relationship. Well, Titus came back with this very good news that the Corinthians had received Paul's hard word and they were grieved, but they were grieved into repenting. So they didn't hear the rebuke from Paul and get hard and decide to break off the relationship and never talk to him again. They heard the rebuke and they changed. So in all that, we can see Paul's heart. He loved the Corinthians, and it turned out that they loved him in return because of the the rebuke. We're going to return to that idea. So Paul, though, had a cruciform heart toward them. His love for them was shaped like the cross of Christ. He loved them even when it cost him fighting without and fear within. He loved them even when it made him vulnerable, even when he had to say things to them that he knew they wouldn't like that risked his own rejection. And of course, that is how Christ has loved us. You can read through the Gospels and see story after story of how Jesus experienced fighting without. People trying to kill him, trying to accuse him and frame him. Uh, People trying to put him to death, and eventually they did put him to death. And you can read at least one story of fear within in Jesus' own life. Uh, As he, he loved us, he went to the cross for the joy set before him. But before he went to the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees, praying, uh, bleeding through his sweat glands in anxiety over what was about to happen to him. Fear within. Jesus Christ became vulnerable taking on humanity even to the point of death because he loved us. And Paul became vulnerable in rebuking the Corinthian church out of his love for them. See, we all like sheep had gone astray, straying from God, living as if we're our own gods. But Jesus, the good shepherd, came to lay down his life 
for the sheep. And Paul's love looked like that in this instance. And that's what I'm saying. For Christians, correction must come from a cross-shaped heart. We must give correction. When we have to give correction to somebody, when we have to tell somebody they're wrong, not just factually, but that they've done something wrong, then we have to, we have to come into that conversation with a heart and an attitude that's been shaped and formed by the cross of Christ. How do we know we're doing that? Well, do we love the person we're correcting? Are we correcting them because we love them and want to see them grow? If we're hesitant to correct somebody, is it because we love them and don't want to hurt them, which is a good thing? Or is it because we love ourselves and we don't want to risk the conflict, which is not cross-shaped, it's not willing to become vulnerable? Hearts shaped by the cross will offer correction when necessary out of love, and they will not correct out of a need to be right or score points or put another person down. You can apply that, we can apply that to social media use, to how we relate to people in the workplace, to how really almost we relate to anybody in any relationship. A cruciform heart makes us both bold to correct people and gentle in correcting people. And the heart behind cruciform correction is a cruciform heart. That's the first thing. When we have to give correction, we need to give correction from a heart that's been shaped by the cross of Christ, that remembers the cross and loves people. Now, the second thing, the heart in front of correction. What I mean by that is the heart on the receiving end. And here's what I want to say about it. Correction can be received by a cruciform heart. Correction can be received by a cruciform heart. The cross makes us ready to receive correction. And it's a very good thing to be able to receive accurate correction, right? Proverbs 3, uh, 3 verse 12 and Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves. So God corrects us. Psalm 94, verse 12, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. That's correction. Proverbs 12, verse 1, Whoever loves discipline, again, correction, loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's God's word. That's what it says. Correction is a very good thing. Accurate correction is something we all need, and the cross makes us ready to receive correction. One of the things that has humbled me about having little kids at home is that they're not yet put off by correction. I mean, there's some things they don't like to be corrected about already, but there's a lot of things that they don't. That I think like, like if the average adult was corrected as many times in a day as my two-year-old is corrected, th- that person would just be so tired of being around people. But, but a two-year-old just takes it in stride. Like earlier this week, uh, my two-year-old daughter, she called the, the uh, she called a cabinet a drawer. And her four-year-old brother said, that's not, a, that's not a drawer, that's a cabinet. And she wasn't like, why are you always correcting me? You know, she, she didn't skip a beat. She said, oh, cabinet. You know, she just was right there with it. I've been humbled by that. Well, how can we as adults who's, who've lost some of that, how can we get hearts that are ready for correction? The answer is that we can stay close to the cross. Look at how the Corinthians had responded to Paul's rebuke, starting there in verse 9. As it is, Paul says, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
For see what earnestness or diligence this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So there's this really important point that, uh, that Paul makes here, a very important distinction. And it's this distinction between godly grief and worldly grief. And as we look at that distinction, we're going to see how the cross prepares us, makes us ready for accurate correction. So let's talk about that. Godly grief and, and worldly grief. Now, they're similar in this way. They both feel bad. They're both grief. It hurts to be corrected. It never feels good to be corrected. But we can be grieved in a godly way or in a worldly way. And what's the difference? Well, first, and most obviously, godly grief is good, but worldly grief is bad. This means that it's not always bad to feel bad when you're corrected. Faith in the cross doesn't mean we'll never feel guilty or experience negative emotions when we're corrected. It doesn't mean we'll always feel happy when we're corrected. In fact, if we're corrected about some way that our lives are out of step with Jesus, we should be grieved. We should be grieved by that. The only way we wouldn't be grieved is if we didn't really care about following Jesus. And that would be a problem if we say we're disciples of Jesus. So godly grief is good. Not all bad feelings are bad. Second, godly grief leads to life, while worldly grief leads to death. That's the second way they're different. Godly grief leads to a bigger heart and a life more full of joy, where worldly grief leads to a smaller heart and a less joyful life. Okay, but how does godly grief lead to life? Why is it good to feel bad in a godly way? Because as the scripture puts it here, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, which you can see is a very good thing. So godly grief, which is triggered by accurate correction, alerts you to a place in your life where you really do need to change to be more like Jesus, and then it leads you to repent, which means to change, and then to experience the joy of salvation without regret. That's what it means, that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. See, in the way of Jesus, there is no salvation without repentance, but there is salvation without regret with repentance. Jesus put it this way, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Mark 1.15. It's the very first words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. So there's repentance unto salvation in the gospel of Jesus. Let me say a couple things about repentance. Repentance is turning around. It's changing your mind and amending your behavior, changing your ways. And repentance is the other side of the coin from faith. Faith, which is trust in Jesus and the announcement of his kingship, and repentance are, the, are two sides of the same coin. If a person truly trusts that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord who died in our place for our sins, then that person will repent and change. They'll repent of sin, turn away from what's keeping them from God and from following Jesus. Two sides of the same coin. And repentance and faith, I want to say this about repentance as well. Repentance and faith are not only the way into the Christian life. Repentance and faith are the bread and butter of the Christian life. Uh, all of our Christian life, the way we continue to grow in maturity, the way that we continue to grow in Christ-likeness, the way we continue to press on and fight in this world to be more like Jesus and be more potent uh, salt and light in this world is through ongoing repentance and faith. Changing. Changing our minds. Turning from sin. Turning to Jesus and trusting Jesus again. 
So in the world, according to worldly grief, if you sin, you're canceled. You're boycotted. You're out. There's no redemption. You must live the rest of your life with regret for what you did. But according to God, church, according to God, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So repentance is always happening, and it's always leading to more fullness of life and more fullness of joy because it's a salvation without regret. Now, what does that mean, without regret? Well, it doesn't mean that there's no consequences for our sin. There are consequences for our sin often. It doesn't mean we don't grieve the effects of our sin on others, even after we've repented and stopped sinning in that way. Maybe we sinned in some way in the past and it, and it really injured somebody, really hurt somebody, and we've put that behind us, and we know we've been forgiven by Christ, but we may still be grieved that we did that. So that, that's not the kind of regret it's talking about. It also doesn't mean that we don't continue to pursue reconciliation where we have sinned against each other. Uh, so it's not like we repent of sin and everything's better between us and God and we don't even go try to restore the relationship that was broken from sin. It doesn't mean that. Of course not. What it does mean is this. Because of the cross, if you truly repent of sin against God, and all sin is against God, if you truly repent of sin against God, you are truly, finally, fully, irrevocably forgiven by God. Salvation without regret. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, 25. I, this is God speaking and he reiterates it. He repeats himself. He says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What is offered through the cross that comes to us often in accurate correction from other people is the opportunity for repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Salvation where repentance and faith is the way of receiving the gift of true, final, full, irrevocable forgiveness. But the way there involves godly grief, involves feeling bad so that you'll repent and then be on your way to salvation without regret. So we can then see why worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief is just shame and guilt that goes nowhere and produces nothing. It doesn't build up. It only paralyzes and immobilizes and isolates. If someone comes and corrects me, you know, they tell me something about my character that needs to change or something about my behavior that was wrong. If I grieve with worldly grief, here's what that looks like. I beat myself up. I don't want to talk to that person again. I feel like a loser and I kind of don't want to talk to anybody again real soon. And then I feel like God doesn't care about me. I feel like I'm not worthy. That's worldly grief. All of that is so unproductive. You know it and I know it. You've been there and I've been there. But if I respond instead with godly grief, here's what that looks like. I feel bad. That part's the same. Don't run from that. It's a gift. I feel bad. And then I take it to God in prayer and I look in his word to see if the person's right. And if God convicts me, the person is right, I repent before God and I make whatever change I need to make, knowing that God loves me and has completely forgiven me. And, you know, actually it, it even... 
my awareness that there's this area where I need to grow convinces me of God's love for me, not that he's upset with me, but that he cares for me and wants me to grow. And then if I need to make amends with somebody or some group of people or whatever it is, I go and do it. That's the way of godly grief. It's productive. It brings life. It brings repentance. It brings joy. And it brings salvation without regret. And in the end, see, godly grief is a way of allowing myself to be weak so that I actually then get stronger. But with worldly grief, I have to pretend to be strong at all costs. and, And then I feel bad and I feel like maybe I'm not strong. And then I never actually get strong. I can't actually grow. I'm just stuck. It's like working out or any other kind of exercise, right? If you want to, work, if you want to run a five-minute mile, you got to allow yourself to run a 15-minute mile first. If you want to bench your weight or double your weight, you got to allow yourself just maybe to bench the bar first. In the same way, if you want to go strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, if you want to have character and behavior like Jesus, you've got to allow yourself to be exactly where you are today. And that is, for you and for me, in a position of weakness where we need to grow so much more to be like Jesus. And if we're sitting there, then we'll be ready for godly grief. And all that leads us to how the cross prepares us to grieve according to God, with godly grief. See, the cross of Jesus Christ allows us to be weak enough to grieve with godly grief when we're on the receiving end of correction. The cross says to you and to me that we are desperate, needy sinners who are worse than than we ourselves even know. But we are so loved and, and, and cared for and welcomed in and forgiven, more so than we ever dared dream in our greatest stories because of the cross of Christ. And when you know that you are welcome in the presence of the Holy God, when the Holy Spirit takes up His residence in you and you know the love of God, you're ready to begin to receive correction. You can be humble in the face of any critique because ultimately you know that whatever bad anybody could say about your character, it's actually worse. And this is just God lifting the scales from your eyes a little bit again so that you can continue to grow to be more like Jesus. That is why I say correction can be received by a cruciform heart. Praise God for it. So for Christians, the heart behind correction must be cruciform, must be shaped by the cross. And the heart in front of correction, on the receiving end of correction, must be cruciform, shaped by the cross. And then third, I want to talk about the heart after correction. Here's what I want to say on this point. Correction given and received by cruciform hearts results in greater mutual love. Correction given and received by cruciform hearts results in greater mutual love. Look with me again at verses 12 through 16 here. This is what happened after Paul wrote the hard letter and the Corinthians repented. Verse 12, So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness might, earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. See, in other words, through that tough letter, Paul wanted the Corinthians to see how much they loved Paul. He believed that they had humble hearts like Christ, and that they would remember how much they loved Paul even through his rebuking them, his challenging them. And you've probably experienced that. At least I hope you have. I hope you have a friend who has corrected you on something and you've loved them more as a result. A friend who is willing to correct you is a friend worth keeping for life. That's a real friend. Well, Paul goes on in verse 13. Therefore, we are comforted 
And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made up to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you is true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. So he's saying, we bragged to Titus about you guys. And he learned for himself that we were right. And therefore, verse 15, his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Now you hear that and you can see uh, what's there. You can see what Paul is saying. Correction was given by the cruciform heart of Paul. He loved them. He loved them and was willing to become vulnerable. And then correction was received by the cruciform hearts of the Corinthians. And the result, what happened after that in all of their hearts, including in the heart of Titus, who's really just a bystander in all this, is greater and greater love, greater mutual love for one another, greater confidence in each other, greater affection for each other. And you know what Jesus said? He said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, John 13, 34. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So South Durham Church, we say we want to be a church of big-hearted followers of Jesus. We really want to be a people who love one another like Jesus, like only Jesus makes possible. And we really want to be a people who love our neighbor like we love ourselves. Now, one way I'm saying today, one way, not the only way, but a critical way that our hearts will grow in greater and greater love for each other is if we will give correction to each other with a cross-shaped heart and if we'll receive correction from each other with cross-shaped hearts. We've got to give correction with cruciform hearts and receive correction with cruciform hearts. It is a sometimes painful but necessary and beautiful part of the way that the body of Christ builds itself up. The church builds itself up in love. Now, are you willing to confront, correct, lovingly, gently, boldly, humbly correct a brother or sister in Christ in this church to help them grow? Is there an area that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart to see in somebody else? Now, we're not talking about being judgmental here. We know that Jesus told us, take the, speck, take the log out of your own eye before you try to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. However, we have got to be ready, like Paul was ready, to say tough words to each other out of love, out of a cross-shaped heart, when necessary, if we're going to grow. And we've got to be ready to receive it. So that's the next question. Are you ready to receive correction. Is your heart rooted enough in the cross that you can receive correction from anybody? Now, I'm not saying you're going to agree with all of it or that they'll be right or you're going to do exactly what they say you need to do. But are you ready? Are you humble? Are you willing to be corrected uh, by brothers and sisters in Christ, by other people, if it's accurate, so that you could look more like Jesus? My prayer is that we would be a cross-shaped, cruciform people whose hearts are ready to give loving correction where needed, to receive correction when necessary, so that we can love each other more deeply, so that all the world might know that we really are Jesus' disciples. And you can just imagine, in a community like that, where people are gracious, patient, forbearing, overlooking wrongs, but willing to correct for the sake of love, can you just see how that builds a church up to grow more and more? May God be pleased to do it in us, May he be glorified in it and through it. And thank you for your attention to God's word and for correcting me in the past, some of you. 
God be praised. We pray that we would continue to grow in likeness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow into the image of Jesus, that we would, we would approach difficult conversations, whichever end of them we're on, Lord, with humility, with an awareness of the cross, and an awareness of the presence, the very presence of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that that would be so evident in our use of social media, in the way we talk to each other at church, in our small groups, uh, in our workplaces. Lord, wherever you send us, we pray that we would enter into relationship with people in every way with the heart of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.